Brethren, if I ask you a question, are you a Christian? What would your answer be? So, well, of course I'm a Christian. But let me ask you another question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? And you may, be, you may respond, uh, well, a member of the Church of God. You may respond, a person that loves Jesus. You may respond, well, a person is baptized. But if you look up the definition of a Christian, a Christian is a person who follows Jesus Christ and believes what he taught. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus Christ and believes what he taught. I could ask another question. Why are you a Christian? That's for another sermon some other time. But it might be something to think about. Why are you a Christian? Why are you here? But back to the question, what is a Christian? A person that believes and follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. Do you believe everything Jesus said? Think about it. Do you believe everything? Because some people say, well, you know, I believe most of what's in the Bible. But I've got questions about this or this or this. You believe everything Jesus said. You take seriously what he said. Or do you have a few doubts here and there? Some people do, especially younger people growing up in this world. They hear this and they hear that and hear something else. Well, you know, I got to check into that or I'm not sure about this or that. I'd like you to turn to John 14. Turn to John 14, first couple of verses. Mr. Strain referred to this scripture recently in a sermon. But Jesus makes a statement here. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And we read this every year at the Passover. He's talking with his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe what I'm telling you. Believe what I'm saying to you. He said, in my father's house are many mansions, were many positions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, a position for you in the coming kingdom of God. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. And receive you to myself. That where I am, you will, you may also be. So here Jesus is making a very clear statement. He's coming again. He's coming again. And we can be with him when he comes. Now the Bible does not say that we're going to be raptured off to heaven. To be with God forever. Playing harps. Or playing a piano. Or walking on streets of gold. It doesn't say that. He said, I'm coming again, and you will be with me where I am going to be. Now, we understand in Zechariah 14, verse 4, he's going to come back. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, right across from Jerusalem. In Revelation 17, verse 14, it says, those that are with him, so there are going to be people with him when he comes back, are called, and they're chosen, and they're faithful. 
Are we going to be there? Do you believe he's coming back? There's people today that are not sure. Uh, but I want to talk about this today. In Matthew 24, in Mark 13, Luke 21, we're told to watch and be ready. Not to be caught by surprise, but to be ready when Christ returns. We need to be watching and preparing for that. Because these are going to be earth-shaking events. It's amazing how the news blows us away almost every day. Something new and something happened. But the return of Jesus Christ is going to be the most stunning, sobering, exciting, challenging awesome event this world is ever going to see and has ever seen. So I want to ask again, do you believe these plain statements of Jesus Christ and the scriptures that he's coming back? Now, for most of us, I think, oh, yeah, I do, I do, I do. But the world doesn't, as we heard in the opening prayer. The world doesn't understand that concept. They're not hearing about that concept. Do you believe that very plain statement? What can you do now to get ready? We're told to pray and to be ready. But what do we have to do? What can we do now to be ready, especially as a younger person and even as an older person in the golden age years of your lives that I'm beginning to understand? Will we, be, will we all be ready? Um, And the the final question here is, how real is the return of Jesus Christ to you? How real? Is it something that really occupies your mind, your thinking, your focus? How real is the return of Jesus Christ to you? sermon title I've chosen for today is The Reality of the Return. The Reality of the Return. Is it real to you? Is it real to you? I want to go over seven points of what you can do now to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Seven points of what you can do to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to think about that as we go through the sermon, because we're going to be looking at seven ways to get ready. Uh, you know, if, if we're not ready then we may be in for a big disappointment. If Christ returns, people come out of their graves, and you're kind of jumping up and down and wondering why you're not floating up into the air. It's going to be sobering. It also talks about there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those that don't get a launch off the ground at that time. Oh, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have done that. It's going to be too late at that point in time. Um, So let's look at seven points, things that you can do to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And if it's really real to us, we're going to be focusing on these things. We're going to be wanting to do these things and planning to do these things. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's start in... uh, Verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 3. It said, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise that he's going to return, but is long-suffering toward us and not willing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to repentance. In verse 10, this is, but that day, but the day of the Lord will not come or will come as a thief in the night. Christ's return is going to be a surprise to many people. And point number one that I want to talk about here to begin with is don't be caught by surprise. Point number one, don't be caught by surprise. But what we're told is, is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, if we knew someone was going to break into our house, we would be there. We'd have the police on the front porch. <laughs> We'd have the fire trucks down there. We'd have uh, whatever it is that we're going to take to defend ourselves. Again, one night in uh, Pasadena, uh, my wife and I were watching TV. We went to bed, and we forgot to shut the sliding glass door on the front of the apartment. And we woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, I woke up with the feeling there's one too many persons in the room. We had a metal bookcase and had some keys and change laying on top of it. He must have rustled that or something. And I woke up, looked over towards the uh, the bookcase, and I could see this shadowy figure over there. So what are you going to do? You're laying in bed, your wife is there sleeping, and here's this person in the room. I made my voice as low as it would go and said, Get out of here! He jumped and ran out the door and bumped the door. And I took off after him, but he bumped the door, and I ran right into the door. <laughs> Boing! But it's probably good that I did, because what would, have I, what would I have done if I got a hold of him, or he'd got a hold of me? You know, we called the police. They came, took some fingerprints, and I came back a second time. I just asked the guy, I said, how much time will you be able to devote to this particular case? He said about, including court time, about five minutes. Because it happened periodically. Uh, the street we lived on was well known with the Pasadena police force. <laughs> there was always something happening there. But uh, a thief in the night is no fun. But it says Christ is going to return. It's going to be as a thief in the night. Why is it going to surprise people? Why is it going to be a surprise to many people? Go back to verse 1. Peter writes, Beloved, now I write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your minds uh, by way of reminder. Down in verse 3, he says, Know this first, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. People that scoff at the whole idea of Christ's returns are going to be extant in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming? <laughs> you think Christ is going to come back? Come on. Now, they have a case. They have a case. The Bible indicates that uh, there were some in the first century expecting Christ to return in their lifetime. It didn't happen. About 1,000 A.D., people thought the world is going to come to an end. It didn't happen. In 1000 A.D. Uh, 1836, 1844, the group of people thought Christ would return on 1836. Didn't happen. Well, we've miscalculated. He'll come back in 1844. Didn't happen at that time either. 
1914, some people thought Christ was going to return. 1975, they thought Christ was going to return. Year 2000, we thought the world was going to end. Some people thought Christ was going to return. Computers would stop. Everything would change. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Some are speculating 2028. Some are speculating 2034. So all this stuff is floating around. So it's not surprising that some people, well, you know, they were predicting before. It didn't happen. We've got to be careful we don't get caught up into that. I came across an article some time ago in a news magazine, and the title of the article was something like, Will He Ever Return? Will He Ever Return? Because it's been expected for so long. Critics today say these are just mythical ideas, wishful hopes, in fact, delusions. Delusions. So this is what floats around today. I came across a fellow by the name of Dr. Harari. He's an Israeli historian. He's also gay and an atheist. And he says, there is no old man in the sky. He has some other ideas. He says, there are too many people on earth. We've got to get rid of these excess people. That's you and me, not him, <laughs> but you and me. But these are people that are not really plugged into the scriptures. They don't believe the scriptures. They don't believe what is clearly there. Um, so it's not going to be a big surprise that um, uh, people are going to be surprised because a lot of people just don't believe what's in the book. They don't read it. They don't know what's there. Matthew 24, verse 44. Another reason it's going to be a surprise Matthew 24, verse 44. It says, Therefore also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's coming at an hour that you do not expect. In verse 38 it says, For as in the days of Noah... At the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. You know, people today, again, are not being primed. If they belong, if they belong to a you know, Protestant church, uh, they're probably hearing uh, sermons and reading articles about the return of Jesus Christ. But for the most part, you don't hear this on uh, the news you don't hear this in college classes. They don't talk about the return of Jesus Christ. I saw something just the other day that um, Bill Gates is predicting that he will stop any future pandemics. He's got a way to do it. Uh, some people refer, refer to him as the Savior, who's going to save us from infectious diseases. Um, I think the Democrats believe if they get in charge, they will save us. And the Republicans, if Mr. Trump comes back, he will save us. But they're not looking for Jesus Christ to return. And yet in Matthew 24 says, if he doesn't come back, no flesh would be saved. This is where we're going. But that's not being talked about today. It's not being talked about today. Why? Let's go back to uh, Jeremiah very quickly. Chapter 2. Now, these are prophecies about what's going to be happening at the end of the age. Uh, there's duality in these prophecies. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, 
Um, we'll just look at a couple of verses. In verse 8, it says, The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. Those that handle the law did not know me. The word here for handle means like if you're handling a bow, you know what to do with it. Uh, you handle the law, they're mishandling the law. They're not telling people about what's actually in the book. Uh, Verse 13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. We've forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns. We made our own gods. We have our own ideas today. In verse 19, your wickedness will correct you. Your backslidings will rebuke you. Latter part of that verse, you have forsaken the Lord your God. You have turned away from God. You're not paying attention to what he put in the book. And the fear of me is not in you. You know, people take God's name in vain. They do whatever they think they want to do. And it's not just adults. It's kids using the same kind of language. There's no fear of God. You know, I was raised in a Protestant church. Uh, I learned about the Ten Commandments. I knew to take God's name in vain was wrong. I think one time in junior high, we were hitting fly balls on a football field during lunch, and I barehanded one. And I said something. (laughs) And I looked around, and I was waiting for the earth to open up (laughs) and lightning to strike me. Because there was a fear of God. I realized that God did exist uh, and that I shouldn't have said what I said. And I think I said a prayer, please forgive me. (laughs) But there is no fear of God today for many people. They just do whatever they do. Uh, This is one of the reasons that we're going to be punished as a nation. So don't get caught by surprise. In order to not be caught by surprise, we've got to be watching world events. We need to know what to watch for. And as we see these things coming together, we better get our act together and get close to God. So we need to watch. We've got to believe. Jesus said, I am coming back. And he gives us a list of things to watch for so that we're not caught by surprise. And I would encourage you, prove what it is that you believe so that you know. As Mr. Armstrong used to say, you need to know that you know that you know that you know what the truth is. And we need to remind ourselves of those things. Remember, the minister that baptized me years ago, um, he was probing to find out where I was coming from. He said, what would you do if this church falls apart? Now, this was 50 years ago. Prophetic? (laughs) I said, I don't know what I'd do. He said, where would you go? I said, I don't know, because there's no place else to go. There's no place else to go. Once you've proven the truth of God, once you've proven where the church is, once you've proven what we should be doing, where would you go? Where would you go? You need to think about some of those things so that you, uh, if you're faced with a decision, you know what you're going to do. I remember talking with some 
leaders and another congregation as the church was coming apart. And they said, well, we need to have a meeting to discuss what we're going to do. <laughs> I said, I'm the pastor here. I know what I'm going to do. I know the direction I'm going to take the church. I probably should have handled it a bit differently. <laughs> but I said, this is the direction we're going to go. You can go with us or you can go someplace else. Now, they were older than I was. I probably should have been more respectful. But uh, I knew the guys that were causing the problems. They'd been some of my students. And there was no way that we're going to play games with them. So don't be caught by surprise. Don't be caught by surprise. That's one of the points. If the kingdom of God is real to you, uh, stay focused. And don't be caught by surprise. Number two. The Bible indicates that as when Jesus Christ returns, we must be found so doing. Matthew 24, verse 36. When Christ returns, we need to be found so doing. Okay, what is so doing or doing what? Uh, I'll just give you the scriptures. Uh, you should be quite familiar with these. Mark 16:15. Jesus told his disciples, preach the gospel to the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, when things came apart, Dr. Meredith, one of the first things he did was get back on television, get a magazine going. And it came apart a couple of times, and each time he did the same thing. Got back on television, he had a job to do. He had a job to do. That was his focus. Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Okay, look around at the churches of the world. Who is preaching the gospel of the coming kingdom of God? A lot of people preaching about loving Jesus. A lot of people preaching about going to heaven, um, sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, walking on streets of gold. But who is preaching about a coming kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth with the saints? I never heard that preached. And I was in church most of my life until I came in contact with the Church of God. It was just totally different. Totally different. Now, you've been called to be part of that. You don't throw that opportunity away. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. says, Make disciples uh, of all nations and teach them what I have taught you. Jesus is telling his disciples. And we're doing that today with the Bible study course. We're doing that today with the booklets. We're doing that today with the television program and the magazines of showing the world God's way of life and teaching the world, going all around the world with that message. So this is what things that we have to be doing, that we should be found so doing when Christ returns. Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 to 8 says, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yet to do that, you have to know who they are and where they are. Again, this was new to me coming into the Church of God, that the book actually was focused on our nations today. And I've heard ministers talk about, not ministers with us, but other ministers say, well, when they're asked the question, well, does the Bible say anything about America? Well, no, not really. <laughs> it does, but you have to understand who's being talked about when it says Israel. We've got to understand these keys. Mr. Armstrong said all the time, 
the identity of Israel is one of the keys, a big key, to understanding Bible prophecy. Who understands that today? Outside of the churches of God, maybe some of the Israelite groups in England and some of those other places, but they're not big people. or They're not big organizations. They're little. They're not having that much impact. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Preach the gospel, heal, and do it freely. Do it freely. You many of these other gospel preachers on television. If you send in a big enough offering, we'll send you a free Bible. We'll do this for you, do that for you. They want to get your name, and they'd like to get your money. But we're doing it free of charge. Now, you're making that possible with your tithes and offerings. But this is the instruction that we're given. Isaiah 58, verse 1 says, Cry aloud and spare not and show my people their sins. Show them that what they're doing is going to bring the wrath of God on the nations where these things are happening. You know, to show a nation their sins... Homosexuality, the Bible says, is an abomination to God. He said this is terrible. And yet teachers in school are pushing kids in this direction. You really might be a girl inside of you. (laughs) Or you really might be a boy inside of you. And we need to help you discover yourself. I saw some things just the other day where they have... um, Develop what they call transgender closets in schools. Transgender closets in colleges and in grade schools. That if you feel you're a boy and your folks think you're a girl, you can come to school and change clothes that they provide for you so you can dress and be a girl if you're a boy. It's confusing. <laughs> But this is what's happening in schools today. Transgender closets to help children. Uh, The lies that people are being told today, it's just normal to be these things. This is the world we're living in. God made us male and female so that we can have children and be part of his family. And people are messing up the kids' minds. I think in many cases because their minds are already messed up. When you look at some of the people promoting these ideas, the lady's the head of the National Teachers Union or something like that. She's gay. She's a lesbian. And she's promoting these ideas. There's another guy who is part of the U.S. um, government service. He's a guy. Big jowls. Has this long blonde hair. And he wants to promote these ideas. These are the people in government promoting these ideas that are messing up the world, messing up our nations, messing up our children. If we're we're supposed to cry aloud, spare not, and show this nation what's happening to it by the people that are in positions of leadership. You know, in Isaiah 3, I think it is, verse 12, it says, Your leaders cause you to err. Your leaders are causing you to err. They're pointing you down a wrong road, and it's going to be a mess when you get down at the end. 
Yeah, this stuff wasn't happening when I was in school, because I was in school in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Back in the 50s. But this wasn't going on at that time. But our kids in schools today are having to deal with these things. One of the articles I saw was a, a guy, a teacher, dressed up as a girl with long, high heels and mincing around in the classroom, uh, teaching the kids, setting this example for the children. It just, it's nuts. It's crazy. But God says this stuff is an abomination, and part of our job is to cry aloud and spare not. It's not going to be pleasant to, to say those things. It's not going to be pleasant for people to hear those things. And the results are not going to be the best for us, probably, or whoever else does that. But we need to be found so doing when Christ returns. Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel was sent to the house of Israel to be a watchman, to be a watchman, to warn what is coming on nations that go down that path. And it's not going to be a pretty thing. But the charge to uh, Ezekiel was, if you warn people and they respond, they will be saved and you will be saved. If you don't warn and they die, it's going to be on your shoulders. So this is the mission that we have. Again, Jesus said that we must be found so doing when he returns. If we're not doing these things, then we may not get the reward that we're hoping to get. If our heart is not in the work that is doing this. So think about why you're here. Think about what the cost is going to be. But also think about the reward. Think about what the reward is going to be. Okay, number three. Number three. We've got to care about people. We've got to care about people. Turn, if you would, to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 3. This has been referred to a little bit earlier, but let's, let's look at it again. Second Timothy chapter 3. It says, But know this, that in the last days, that is, before Jesus Christ returns, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, difficult time, terrible times. As we see the direction the world is going today, Things don't look like they're getting any better. They get worse almost every day. Something happens. You know, oh, that couldn't happen, but it did. Perilous times will come. For men or people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Very materialistic. Boasters. I'm number one. Proud. Blasphemers. Saying things, uh, blasphemy is an intentional indignity towards God. Thumbing your nose at God. Stuff like that. So this is going to characterize uh, our societies at the end of the age. Disobedient to parents, unthankful. You know, we're living in one of the most blessed countries on the face of the earth. Are we thankful for that? Well, it's a mess. You know. <laughs> Why do so many people want to come here? We have been blessed incredibly. You look at what we have here. We may not have it much longer if it comes apart. 
We need to thank God every day for the blessings that we have. You know, I've been able to travel into various parts of Africa and the Middle East and various places like that. Some of you have too. You, you literally kiss the ground when you come back. You come back to the Middle East, to England, for example. Everything is green down there. And you go to Ireland, it's even more green there. I remember asking a guy in Ireland one time, when I first moved over there, I said, do you guys get much rain over here? And the guy looked at me. He said, Sonny, if we could export rain, we'd all be millionaires over here. But it's green. You go to the Middle East, you wonder, why are they fighting over sand? Well, it's the oil that's underneath the sand that makes it worthwhile. But we've been blessed incredibly. Are we thankful for that? Back to the subject, caring about other people. Our societies today are characterized by a love of self. My job, my body, my, my, my pleasures, my this, my that. And we've got to be careful we don't get sucked into that. We've got to be careful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And this was the advice that Paul was giving to the church in Corinth, which was a big, uh, bustling, uh, carnal city. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Is therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty God. But we've got to come out of this world. Now, you can't stop working, and you can't stop living and shopping and things like that. But we've got to be careful we don't pick up the world's attitudes. My life, my this, my that. Uh, focusing on self. I remember my dad <clears throat> had a hi-fi set when he was living in Florida. And I remember talking with him. He said, Dad, come on up and visit. He said, well, I can't leave the house because somebody might break in and steal what I have here. <laughs> he had insurance on it. <laughs> but it was kind of like, well, I can't leave because i got to protect my, my stuff. Um, if we're really focused on what we have now, we may not have a future. But this is the world's thing right now. It is focusing on self. And we've got to come out of that. Ezekiel chapter 9. Very interesting in this context of what we're talking about. Ezekiel chapter 9. Beginning in verse 2. I think it's very sobering to read the book of Ezekiel, especially the early parts of it. Ezekiel chapter 9 says, Suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces the north, each with a battle axe in his hand. Some big tough guys with a battle axe in each hand. One among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn, in other words, to record names or do something with it at his side, and he went and stood by the bronze altar. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been and to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed with linen 
who had a writer's inkhorn in his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within the city. He wanted those people marked in a way that would distinguish them from other people who were not worried at all about what was happening, not upset at all what was happening. Um, But to mark those who sigh and cry or mark those who are lamenting, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. Uh, This is an abomination. And they're talking to God about those things. Because people are being hurt by these ideas. You know, the stuff is being written today about transgenderism. Um, Working on kids that are confused. Say, you you, you really need to maybe be a boy instead of a girl. You're pointing a kid in a wrong direction at a very crucial stage of their life. And then the medical advice is, well, they need gender-appropriate treatment. Gender-appropriate treatment. That's uh, puberty blockers. Give them some chemicals so they don't develop as a girl biologically or they don't develop as a boy biologically. And then a little bit later, help them get the appropriate surgeries to mangle your body. So you'll never, ever be able to have children. And then you read stories, hundreds of people, that said, I totally re- uh, regret what I did at that time or what was done to me because we, it can't be reversed. That we lament, that we sigh and cry for the people that are being affected by these things. Because these are people, they're children that are being pointed and exploited in the wrong direction. These are crimes. Do we care about people other than maybe just ourselves and our own kids? These are human beings made in the image of God. To sigh and cry and lament over the sins, the people are being hurt, the abortions, this uh, pending Supreme Court decision to uh, uh, remove sanctions for abortions. I was watching the senator, the lady from Maine, I think it is. Um, She was yelling and screaming. She said, I'm angry! This is terrible! Taking away this right to abortion! She could have said, we want to be able to kill babies in the womb. But that's not politically correct. (laughs) But she was really steaming over that. They're taking away a right that we have to kill babies. What is our, 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 our country coming to? What's our society coming to? You know, Satan's behind this whole thing. Are we upset about that? Are we, do we care about these people? Sixty billion babies have been aborted. This is just in America. It's a bigger problem even than that when you look worldwide. Uh, This is what we're seeing today. This is what we're seeing today. Do we care about that? You know, we take for granted maybe sometimes understanding the purpose of human life. 
Why are you here? What is the purpose of human life? Your depression is an increasingly serious problem for college kids today because they see the mess in the world and they don't want to get married and bring kids into the world because it's such a mess. They're taking their own lives because what's the purpose? What's the purpose of human life? They're not being told. We have been given an incredible understanding of the purpose of human life. To become part of God's family, to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God, to gain eternal life. Now at 16, it might not be that important. You want to live life now. (laughs) Your eternal life is way down the road. As I get closer to the end, I'm beginning to think, that no, it's not such a bad idea after all. It'd be kind of nice to watch a volleyball game the other night with one of my grandsons, and he's all excited. He's learning to spike things. He's about six foot tall, and he was really excited. I'd like to see where he goes. I'd like to see where he goes. My wife came in contact with a cousin she didn't even know she had back in Pennsylvania, and they've been communicating back and forth. It turns out he was the son of her grandfather or something like that. Never knew he existed, but it was kind of exciting. The resurrection is going to be exciting to find out the, what our roots are back various places. It's going to be interesting. But <clears throat> we've got to care. We've got to care for people. Matthew 23, verse 37, look it up. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus was looking over at Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have liked to take you under my wing like a hen does with her chicks? And then they killed him. They killed him. But he had compassion. He had compassion on those people. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Christ came to become the savior of the world, dying for our sins. Now, if you've not done a lot of bad things, that may not be a big, a big thing. But he died for the sins of mankind, the people that are promoting abortion today, the people that are promoting transgenderism. He died for their sins. But he has compassion on everyone. This is our, the Savior, the one who's coming back, and he wants us to develop that same compassion, that same care for other people. And when he sees us developing those qualities, it's going to be like, there's one I can use. There's one I can use. Because he's watching to see what we're doing, what we're developing. So we've got to care about people and develop those qualities. I've been to South Africa a couple of times and I saw a a program where they were interviewing young hoods that were living in the the flat area uh, outside of Cape Town. And these are young, young, not that young, probably 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age. They were on drugs and they were bragging what they could do to people. They're talking about skinning their face off. Uh, they're all smoking or they're inhaling something while they're doing it. It was kind of like, I can do more than you did. It, it, it's, it's inhuman. 
It's inhuman. We've got people who are afraid to come out of their house down in, in Haiti because of the gang wars down there and the fighting. They're afraid they can't go out even to go shopping because it's too dangerous out on the street. I saw another thing on Chicago. They called it the largest outdoor shooting range in the world because of the murders that are taking place there. I mean, this is the world we live in. Um, do we care? Are we praying to God about these things? God, may your kingdom come soon. Please bring your kingdom soon. I want to be in it. I want to help, I want to help change things. If God is looking for leaders, let me give you this definition. I've used it before. God is looking for leaders who care enough to want to change circumstances that are hurting other people. He's looking for leaders who care enough to want to change circumstances that are hurting other people. What would you like to change about this world? What would you like to change about this world when it comes to designing neighborhoods, when it comes to designing educational systems, when it comes to pointing people in the right direction? We've been called to have an opportunity to literally change the world if we make it into the kingdom of God, if we develop what God is looking for. Okay, that was number three. Number four, <clears throat> we've, got to be, we've got to bear specific fruits. We've got to bear specific fruits that God is looking for. Turn to John chapter 15. John 15. <clears throat> Very powerful scripture. If we start in uh, <clears throat> verse 12, again, Jesus is talking with his disciples the night before he was crucified. This is at the Passover. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus came to give his life for us. What's it like to give your life, devote your life? to serving other people. You know, people who become doctors, for the most part, are willing to uh, answer phone calls and go make visits uh, when they don't feel like it necessarily. Now, there's a financial motivation there. <laughs> that uh, it, it has good rewards. But when you take the oath of, of being a doctor, you, you go whenever uh, you're called. Otherwise, if you don't, nobody's going to call you, lose your job. In the ministry, it's the same way. Somebody calls, we need to respond. Well, I'm too busy. Call me tomorrow. No, <laughs> that doesn't work. But when you lay down your life for your children, especially when you got little kids, they'll start to cry. <laughs> the sound effects were perfect. <laughs> but... You know, at night when they start crying in the middle of the night, you don't feel like getting up always. <laughs> but if you don't, then the baby cries that much more and could wind up with problems. So you get up and you go and you pick them up and you hug them and, or feed them or whatever it is that they, they need. If you need to change them, you do that. You know, say, don't worry about it, kid. I'll change in the morning. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. 
As a parent, you learn that your life is no longer your own. It's no longer yours. There are prior claims on that life. But he says here in verse 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now we'll do it for our family. Most of us will probably do it for our friends, but not do it for our neighbor that we don't like. (laughs) We're not into stuff like that. Now we might if we're really converted, but for the most part, I don't like him, I'm not going to help him. But we've got to develop differently. We've got to develop different. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And he wants us to be ready when he returns. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why are you here? Because God chose you. God called you. He's offering you a special opportunity. Never want to take that for granted. But notice the rest of the verse. You do not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ask of you ask of your father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you that you love one another. It says the world is going to hate you. The world is going to hate you if you function this way. That's in the next verse because it says it hated me before it hated you. So if you're actually trying to live by the laws of God, uh, your life is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. But we've got to bear fruits. You can look up on your own Luke 21, uh, I think it's verse 28, where they were walking towards Jerusalem and Jesus saw a fig tree that was had no fruit on it and he cursed it and it basically dried up and died. God is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit in your life, in my life. Matthew 24, the parable of the talents, the faithful, those that bear fruit are going to be rewarded. Those that don't bear any fruit are called wicked. And there's no reward for that. Galatians 5, what kind of fruits is God looking for? Galatians chapter 5, what kind of fruit is God looking for? And there's going to be rewards for bearing the fruit, and there's going to be disappointment if we don't. Galatians chapter 5. And these are something to think about. If we really are hoping to be with Jesus Christ when he returns, then we've got to be developing these fruits. And they don't grow overnight. (laughs) It takes time. You know, you don't read a book on muscle development and then go to sleep on the, on the book and wake up the next morning looking like Charles Atlas or somebody that's been all pumped full of hormones, that uh, you've got to get some weights and you work on it. Now, if you've got the right genetics, things are going to happen. If you don't have the right genetics, nothing's going to happen. But it's the same with the fruits of God's Spirit we read about here in Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> 
Verse 18 is if you are led by the spirit and not you're not under the law or under the penalty of the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, sorcery, jealousy, stuff like that. Um, but in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, you know, if we're baptized, we make a commitment to, to live God's way of life, have hands laid on us. God will give us his spirit. And then we have to work with that spirit, nourish that spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. It's an unselfish, outgoing concern for other people. That's not normal. That's not normal. But it's part of the fruit of God's Spirit. Joy. Even whenever things are going badly, you need to thank God for the trials. God, help me learn what I need to learn as I go through this. That's a converted attitude. It's not, God, why'd you do this to me? It takes a totally different perspective on trials uh, to thank God because he's working with us to mold us and fashion us and prepare us to reign with Jesus Christ. That's a big, a big focus, a big focus to get a handle on those things. Peace. Um, Jesus said in Matthew five, blessed are the peacemakers. Can you walk into a situation that's exploding and pour oil on troubled waters to calm things down? That's a gift. That's a skill that can be developed over time. Um, You don't solve the problems by flying off the handle when everybody else is flying off the handle. But to be able to calm things down, to be able to calm things down, long-suffering, to be patient, Remember, we put up a sign in our boy's bedroom when they were little. I said, this little kid holding on to his blanket and looking up with his big two eyes and said, please be patient with me because God is not finished with me yet. <laughs> be patient with me because God is not finished with me yet. I can remember one time that one of our boys, I will not name, but sassed his mother when he was little. And I had seen parents spanking their kids, so I grabbed them and shook them. I said, you never talk to your mother that way. I saw this expression of terror. And I thought, I never want to see that expression on my son's face again. So I apologized. I said, almost said his name. I said, look, I've never been a dad before. And you've never been a kid before. So let's cut each other a little slack. Now, he didn't understand all that. <laughs> but I realized I had to be patient. They're learning. And we want God to be patient with us because we're still learning quite a bit. But long-suffering, patience, kindness. When we speak to people, do we speak kindly to them? Or is it, rah, 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 and we bark. To be speaking kindly to people, treat people like we would like to be treated. Uh, Goodness, to do good things for people. Look for ways to do good things for people. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I've heard the excuses like other people. Well, so-and-so's got a strong sex drive, so we have to understand. Or uh, I just fly off the handle. That's the way I do things. We can't be the same way that we used to be. We've got to come out and be different. We've got to come out and be different. 
So we've got specific fruits that we need to bear. How do do we do that? Uh, Just a couple points. John 6, 53 to 58, where Jesus said, you've got to feed on me. You've got to study my word, feed on me, imbibe of my word. Because if we're studying the word of God, we're going to see how we should act. And it's not just to so things are nice. God is going to see us trying to live his way of life. And if he sees us making progress, it's kind of like, let's keep an eye on that one. Let's keep an eye on that one. We've got to feed on Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> we'll come back to another scripture a little bit later. But to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, we've got to be striving to bear fruits. And this takes work, it takes effort, it takes determination. And it'll take some repenting. God, I'm sorry, I blew it today. Please help me, forgive me, and and give me the strength that I need to do it better the next time. Okay, number number five. Number five. We need to set a goal of becoming servants. A goal of becoming servants to serve other people. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If you've traveled around to other countries, other places, uh, you probably run into things like this. You probably run into things like this right here at home. But Matthew chapter 20, <clears throat> beginning verse 25. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. It's not just the Gentiles. Israelites do the same thing. We like to be in charge and tell everybody else what to do. But he says to his disciples, it should not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him become your servant. Let him become your servant. Look for ways to serve other people. Whoever desires first to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've been called to become servants of God. God called ancient Israel to become a servant nation, to be an example to the world of how to do things God's way. That was their mission. That was their job. We've got the same job today, to be lights and examples to the world in everything that we do, whatever we say, to be a light and to be an example. In Philippians chapter 2, how do you do these things? How do you develop these things, these qualities? Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, Therefore, is there any consolation in Christ? If there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship with the, of the Spirit, uh, and, if, and if affliction and mercy fulfill my joy, make my day, <laughs> is what Paul is saying. 
make my day um, by being like-minded, develop the same mind of Jesus Christ. You know, what would Jesus do? How would he handle a particular situation? Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I remember when I first started attending church, there was a young couple, his dad owned an oil company, I think. And we were talking after church one day, and I said, next, I'm going to be an elder by next year. I'm going to be an elder by next year. He was taking that on himself. <laughs> he wasn't around a year later. He wasn't around a year later. Yet we can't take things for ourselves, but if we develop the mind of Jesus Christ to be a servant uh, with compassion, then God will be able to use us in his time and in his way. But in all lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Really? You're better than me? I'm not God's gift to the world? No, we're to esteem others, to show respect. To show respect. To be a servant. Remember one young fellow that I encountered in Ambassador College years ago. He was young. He was upwardly mobile, but, but he was, was positive. I called him once or twice and said, so can I talk with you? His response was, at your service. At your service. Which is not a bad response. But I don't think he lasted very long either. He had words. There's nothing wrong with being at your service. But we've got to endure, too, and not just pack it in when things get difficult. But developing this mind, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. He was humble. He was faithful. He was concerned about others. That's what Paul is talking about here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who, being in the form of God... He didn't say, you know who my dad is? Don't mess with me. I'll get my dad to take care of you. That wasn't his approach. That wasn't his approach. Being in the form of God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant or a slave and coming in the likeness of men, and being found uh, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, or as a result, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which, uh, every, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, that in the name, that the that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Uh, so God will exalt those who he sees developing this attitude. How can I help? How can I serve? Showing compassion, showing care for other people. To be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, we need to look at ways of serving other people. How can I help as opposed to... How do I get to the top position? How can I help? 
You know, we've had opportunities recently to help distribute magazines that we wound up having some extra copies. Uh, you could help by a number of you learning how to lead songs. Ever tried to follow a song leader that's going all over the place? <laughs> but to actually learn how to do it, if you're musically inclined, would be a way to serve. Uh, <clears throat> learning how to speak, not just to give sermons, but how to talk, how to convey information, uh, how, to, how to teach. You, know, you can teach your dog to do various things. You can teach children how to do various things. Maybe even being an example on your job, teaching how to do various things God's way. But prepare to serve. Prepare to serve. A couple of others very quickly. Number six would be to grow mentally and spiritually. Not just sit around and do nothing, but strive to grow mentally, to grow spiritually. 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. Peter writes there, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Turn to first or second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. You know, in chapter three he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter actually it's chapter one, verses two through eleven. I'm not going to read all of that. But in verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason, because we have these incredible promises that God has made to us. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. In other words, not just the faith that you have. He said, add to that knowledge. How to apply that knowledge. Um, Add to your faith. Virtue, that's courage. To be strong, to be convicted, add that to your faith. And you can do that by adding knowledge, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Ah, you mean I have to? Yeah. How can God give us power if we can't control it? We've got to be able to do those things, using wisely the power that you have now to you know, guide your own life and then help others. To self-control perseverance. You can't quit. You can't quit. you got to stay focused. <clears throat> to perseverance, godliness, doing things God's way. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, where you treat people like others would like, like you would like to be treated. Um, these are things that we can add to our faith. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the, <clears throat> the qualities of an elder or a deacon. But, you know, we've been called to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God. And these are qualities in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of Christians. Because we're making the assumption here that the the elders and the deacons are Christians. But these are qualities that we all need to strive for. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So this is a faithful saying, if a man or if a person desires the position of a bishop, of a leader, of an overseer, he desires a good work. The bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, temperate, controlled, sober-minded, serious, of good behavior. These are qualities as Christians we need to develop. 
able to teach, able to explain the, the truth of God. So these are things that we need to add to our faith. In 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 16, it talks about there to study or diligently study and be able to explain and apply the Word of God and avoid you know, controversies that have, you know, asking questions that have no answers. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, to study God's Word diligently. We need to remember that those who are called and chosen and faithful are bearing the kind of fruit that God is looking for. That was number six. Number seven, we've got to endure to the end. We've got to endure to the end. Matthew 24, verse 13, it says, Those that endure to the end will be saved. In other words, they don't give up. They don't walk away. They stay focused. They're there for the duration. Uh, <clears throat> maybe jot in your notes Matthew 24, excuse me, Matthew 10, verse 22, which talks about enduring to the end, but it says that you're going to be hated for your beliefs. You're going to be hated for your beliefs. People are not going to like what you're doing. Uh, you know, I was reading here recently that a person that claims to be a Christian, whether or not they're part of the church, are the biggest group of persecuted people in the world. The world does not like the name Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to be persecuted as his church, but a lot of other people are being persecuted just because they are viewed as as Christians. So we've got to be able to endure to the end. Jude, verse 3 so we've got to be able to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. You hang on to the truth. You don't let anybody take your crown. You hang on to the truth. That's why you've got to prove it for yourself so that you know what the truth is and never let go of it. I remember when I was fired oh, some years ago <laughs> by one of my students who had been one of my students. Uh, I made a comment to him as we were talking over a desk. I said, you know, if you guys would preach what's in the book, we would support you. I said, you're preaching your own ideas. And he said, you're right. <laughs> Can't argue with that. As I walked out the door, I poked another guy in the stomach. What I was thinking was, you can't have my crown. You can't have my crown. I'm not going to give it to you. We've got to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Go to uh, Ephesians. You can look this up later. Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. And we've got to be strong and use our swords and use our shields and use our helmets. Because there's an enemy that wants to get to us. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four. Paul is encouraging the audience that he's writing to. He's encouraging Timothy, but others also. Second Timothy chapter four, verse one. I charge you, therefore, talking to Timothy. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. 
In other words, Christ is coming back to judge the world. He's going to judge the church too. We're facing a judgment that's coming down the road. We need to be ready for that. But down in verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not to all who have just kind of looked forward to it, (laughs) but there's emotion involved with that, that loved his appearing, that was looking forward to it, that could taste it, that wanted to be part of it. Let's conclude by asking one other question. Is the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus Christ real to you? Is the return of Jesus Christ real to you? Do you want to be there? Are you going to be ready when he comes? Let's stay focused on that calling. Let's stay focused on our mission. Let's stay focused on growing so that we can become part of God's family. And keep the second coming real in your mind.